This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Open in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers will give you a copy of the Bible. You're going to want to follow along today as we continue our, our series on Paul's letter to the Philippians. Today, we'll be in chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. We'll read down through verse 11. This is God's Word. I'm going to pray for us this morning. Seems that God is present to reveal His Son to us, and I want to pray. This text is so perfect. I just want to pray for His blessings. Lord, Pause just for a minute to say, fill this place with your spirit and reveal Christ to us. Yes. You have made him supreme. You have exalted him above all. Make that clear to us in this text, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's make knowing Christ our supreme ambition. I guess the main point of this text that each and every one of us may make Christ our supreme ambition. I have a columnist I like, Don't, can't recommend every column he writes, but Jason Gay writes for the Wall Street Journal. This year he did modest New Year's resolutions for 2022. People like to start January 1 with big promises. What about something more humble? The subtitle. New Year's Eve is approaching. He was actually writing on New Year's Eve day. And you know what that means, people making lofty public resolutions, they have 
no intention of keeping past January 3rd. I'm as bad as anyone. I always resolve to stop looking at my phone, read more poetry, lose a bit of weight, dunk a basketball, fight a shark, build a pinball machine, patent a flying car, fight another shark, and win an Oscar. And you know what? None of it ever happens. Not even the Oscar. It's time to be more realistic and more accepting of my imperfections. Here's my list of modest resolutions for 2022. Feel free to steal as many of these as you'd like. One, I want to see a moose. Any moose will do. I will work to be kinder and more generous, a, a, a kinder and more generous human being, except when fried clams arrive and then all bets are off. I'm finally going to figure out what okra is. Yankee. That's why I said I can't, can't recommend him every time. Also, what nonplussed actually means. Never quite sure. I'm going to play a round of golf without crying. I can relate to that one. I'm going to eat more breakfast at home, more lunches with friends, and fewer dinners in gas stations. I'm going to run around to airports changing all the televisions from cable news to cartoons. I'm going to learn to talk about cryptocurrency without sounding like I'm trying to cross a skating rink in socks. I will not run for office. If nominated to the Supreme Court, I will turn it down. I'm going to figure out a reason why my son shouldn't have a pet snake besides because it's a snake. <laughs> Finally, he says, I really am going to see that moose. I know it. Mr. Gay is drawing attention to the well-known fact that we often don't keep our resolutions. We have good intentions, but we don't keep them. But what really matters about resolutions, I think, is what they are. What do we value so much that we make a resolution? We resolve to go after it. Our, our values are seen in our resolutions, aren't they? They reveal our values. Even if we don't keep them, they reveal what our goals are for life. This is what we think the purpose of our life is, what is most important. It really doesn't matter if you keep resolutions if you're aiming at the wrong things. Our text is about purpose. Verse 8 has a purpose clause, in order that I may gain Christ. In order that that's my purpose. I may be found in him. It's about values. It's about goals. It's the truth. Whatever gains Paul had before he met Christ, he lost so that he might gain him. What he valued was knowing Christ. Knowing Christ in his view was the most valuable thing. This is no humor column. This is not fake news. This is truth. This is the truth. Christ is the most valuable. 
And Paul would not want us to make modest resolutions in our pursuit of Christ. Remember the Christ hymn, chapter 2, if you'll look back in verse 6 of chapter 2. Though Christ was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God the Son became incarnate. And being found in human form, he humbled himself further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Donald McLeod's a wonderful theologian. He understands who Christ is. In his book, The Person of Christ, he says, listen carefully to this. The one who emptied himself is one who had glory with the Father before the world began. He possessed all the majesty of deity, performed all its functions, and enjoyed all its prerogatives. He was adored by his Father and worshipped by the angels. He was invulnerable to pain, frustration, and embarrassment. He existed in unclouded serenity. His supremacy was total. His satisfaction was complete. His blessedness was perfect. Such a condition was not something he had secured by effort. It was the way things were and had always been. And there was no reason why they should change. But change they did. And they changed because Christ did not insist on his rights. That's who we're talking about this morning. That's what this text is all about. And that's why Paul says, this one who did not insist on his rights, this one who humbled himself, made in the likeness of men, and now exalted to the highest place, he is alive and we can know him. Let's make it our supreme ambition to know him. And this text is, is a gift. Paul was transformed by grace when he encountered Christ, the risen Christ, on the road to Damascus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. And our text has much to say about the changes that this brought about in Paul's life. I want to unpack this text by considering changes we, we may want to make in our lives as, as we follow his example we may want to, number one, change our goals. Change our goals. Verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He's, he's emphasizing the contrast between his former way of life that Zach looked at, unpacked for us last week, with this, with this statement. He is, he is contrasting his former way of life with his new life in Christ. He had good reasons, remember, to put confidence in the flesh. He had gained these things. He was a Jew in good standing. He kept the law. But when he came to Christ, everything changed. Whatever gain I had refers back to verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh? I have more. He's referring back to this, these, these reasons for his confidence. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, the best of law keepers. Paul carefully followed the plan for being a righteous Jewish man, successful Jewish man. But now he had encountered the living Christ. He had a new life. And now he's painting a new picture of himself. Whatever was to his profit, he now considers loss for the sake of Christ. He's using accounting terms. He's describing a change using accounting terms about what he values. He, he gained profits from being a Jewish man, being, being a man who was of the tribe of Benjamin. He, his strict observance of the law. He was a Pharisee. He, he's describing, this was all, these were assets to me before. He's tabulating. He's evaluating. He's putting them on a balance sheet. He's considering his net worth. His net worth was exceptional. Way more valuable than all the others. But, verse 7, whatever gain, whatever was in the asset column, I counted now as a liability, as loss for the sake of Christ. His whole life he had considered himself incredibly wealthy in terms of being a faithful Jew, a member of the Jewish nation. But there, there's been a shocking reversal. <laughs> He's changed his goals. It's not something he did without thought. He encountered Christ and he began to think differently. He's thinking. He's using his mind. Now he's got things clear. He just has a different perspective. His, his New Year's resolutions were transformed when he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. Why did he count all these gains as loss? For the sake of Christ. Christ is the reason. Because of Christ, he's, he's added up all his assets and now he considers them to be one huge liability. All the advantages, his accomplishments, his so, social class, his moral achievements, all the reasons that people would look up to him, all the reasons that he had this confidence in himself. They all, in his mind now, are a disadvantage. In verse 8, he doubles down on this. He goes beyond even what he said in verse 7. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to pause to say, do you know Christ? For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that. That's my purpose. I might gain Christ. Whatever gain I had is now counted as loss. Anything and everything. Boasting in Christ. He is boasting in Christ. It means putting no confidence in the flesh. Even these good things. All rivals are devalued. 
on, on the one side stands everything the world offers. The other, the other side is Christ. Paul was a fanatic about his religion. He was good at it. He did legalism right. And now he throws it all away. That's what's so striking about these verses is this was not your average Jewish man. He was a fanatic. After the Allies defeated the Japanese army on the island of Guam during World War II, like so many other islands in the South Pacific during World War II, there were Japanese stragglers who refused to surrender. They stayed hidden in the jungle on the island. One historian said they watched, starved, and considered their alternatives. So they're watching the Allies on the island, but they're hidden in the jungle. The Americans would drive loudspeaker trucks and drop leaflets from airplanes, appealing to them for an honorable surrender. But many, many of the Japanese refused. Japan had been a militaristic and imperialistic nation that believed they were a nation of destiny. Their emperor was considered to be a God-man. He was incapable of making a mistake. One slogan seen often in Japan was, Serve the nation with one death. Yours. Nothing could be more glorious than to die for the nation. To surrender was unthinkable to many of these Japanese soldiers and civilians on these islands. Thousands committed suicide. Long after the end of the war, many Japanese remained stubbornly at large in the jungles of Guam. There were small groups. They lived in caves. They survived by eating lizards. The, the Japanese government, even as the years went by, sent representatives to appeal to them and Steadily, holdouts would come out of the jungle each year throughout the 40s and the 50s. The last straggler on Guam was Sergeant Sochi Yokoi. He survived in the jungle for almost 28 years. He possessed wilderness survival skills that would make Bear Grylls look bad. He built traps, he wove clothing, he avoided disease. He dug an underground shelter that had bamboo walls and floors. He was quite a guy. He was captured in 1972. And doctors said this 56-year-old man was in excellent health. He returned to Japan. He was a national sensation. He said he had known the war was over for 20 years but dreaded the disgrace of surrender. He told reporters, I am ashamed that I have returned alive. He was brought before the emperor and the emperor's wife at the, at the palace and he said, your majesties, I've returned home. I deeply regret that I could not serve you well. The world has certainly changed, but my determination to serve you will never change. He was a fanatic. That's the kind of man Paul was. He was this kind of fanatic. And that's what's so striking about these verses. When a fanatic changes his goals, his values, what he's passionate about, 
It gets your attention. But this is exactly what happened in Paul's life. He changed what he was pursuing, what he valued, what he wanted, his purpose in life. He, he put all the things of his fanatical religion that he considered gain, and he called them rubbish. He put them in the rubbish category. What was most valuable became trash when he met Christ. Transformed his goals. And he doesn't see this as a hard decision. Remember in chapter 1, for, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. It's far better. Better by far. Why count everything as loss? Because Christ has more value. A second thing to consider. Second change. Change our treasure. Again, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith in Christ. This is Paul's purpose. He wants to gain Christ. He wants to be found in Christ. He recognizes the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And that's his goal. That's his treasure. Christ is now his treasure. He got this righteousness that comes from God. He's found by God now in Christ. That means access to the Father in one spirit. Fellowship with God in Christ. It's the great treasure of the kingdom. Amen. Knowing God. In verse 9, we see this word righteousness. It can be rendered justification, and it often is in the New Testament. It, it regularly means that God on the account of the death of His Son declares certain people just. Certain people righteous. Paul makes three points about this righteousness or this justification in verse 9. Number one, it, it comes from God. It's God's gift. Paul's secure now because God sent His Son to die for him. God sent his son and Jesus loved him and gave his life for him. He considered himself to be the chief of sinners, but he trusted Christ. Righteousness, again, he says in verse 9, is by faith. It's secured through faith. Trusting in Christ. That's the means now of receiving righteousness, justification in God's sight. It's faith, and the object of that faith is Christ and Him crucified, His finished work, his, Him being raised from the dead. Righteousness depends on faith. And this righteousness from God is compared to whatever God, uh, whatever Paul could achieve on his own by observing the law. He says, I, I don't want a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. 
It's not that he thinks that the people under the old covenant were not really obligated to keep the law. Or that in those days, no one could be right with God. That's not his point. His point is that now that Christ has come in fulfillment of the law, he has changed his perspective of the law. Even under the old covenant, men and women were saved by God's grace. They received this grace by faith. And that faith was expressed by keeping the law. Paul isn't belittling obedience. He never belittles obedience. He's insisting that the law can be viewed in a way that God never intended. Never intended for the law to be used in this way. People should not think of the law as the ground or the basis for becoming righteous before God. Something they depend on to be declared just by God. That's not the purpose of the law. But this is why some of the Jewish people wanted these Gentiles in Philippi to be circumcised. The truth is, though, that justification doesn't depend on keeping the law. The law was one of the preparations for the righteousness from God that would be secured by the coming of the Messiah and his death on the cross. It was never meant to be the basis of justification. Paul changed his goal. Paul changed his treasure. Christ is now his treasure. Why? Because all of this law-keeping for justification is rubbish in comparison to gaining Christ by receiving righteousness from God that is by faith. Verse 8, second part of the verse, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. This word means manure. It's, it's a vulgar term. It means garbage. It means kitchen scraps. It's fun to watch commentators try to explain this to you in a diplomatic way. I've been <clears throat> unable to walk for a couple months. And... There's a lot of things I can't do. I've gotten by with a little help from my friends and my family. You learn to pace your requests. There are many things you need. And you just realize, you know, they're, they're going to throw me out of this house if I ask too much. Some things are no problem. But other requests, I can only ask a select group. Only the few. The proud, the Marines can do these things for me. And maybe the most challenging is what we call pooper scooping. I have a 125-pound Labrador Retriever dog. It's like having a small cow. <laughs> and this pooper scooping must be done or we're going to have some problems when the grandkids come over to play in the yard. I want to shout out to my wife, Sherry, who is not a dog person, but loves her husband. She wins the trophy for doing the worst job the most. I think this is what we mean when during the ceremony we say for better or for worse. <laughs> I have a picture of her in my mind with our scooper and a grocery bag that I will never forget. 
There she is out there. It's a large bag when she gets done. It's a large bag full of poo-poo. When Paul says, I count them as rubbish, this is exactly what he is thinking. I count all those gains as the end result of pooper scooping. Big bag. That's what it's all. That's the value I place on it now that I have discovered the surpassing value of knowing Christ. He was a fanatic. All that before that gave him confidence in the flesh, he, he now considers to be like the contents of that bag. Whatever. He, he goes so far, everything, everything this world offers, everything. He has a new balance sheet. One side is Christ. Everything else is rubbish. Now let's pause and try to apply this in our lives. Because most of you are not trying to be good Jewish people. Keep the law. Make sure you're a part of the fellowship of the Jewish nation. That's not going to resonate with you, but we may be tempted to brag about even more worthless things that give us confidence in the flesh, like wealth, or status, or education, or family, or politics, or business successes, whatever group you're in on Facebook. I think they have groups. I don't know. But, or any group. When we, when we change our treasure, all this is rubbish. Here's what D.A. Carson says. Paul understands that justification is God's work, secured by Christ's death, appropriated by faith. God looks at me through the death of his son, and he declares me just. Paul recognizes that in God's universe, the most important thing is to know God in a flow of history that inevitably runs toward the judgment, which we'll continually run into in Philippians, the great judgment in which only God's verdict matters, to be declared righteous by this creator God, this judge, is infinitely more precious than anything else one can imagine. Let me encourage you to preach this gospel to yourself every day. The text we are in is absolutely perfect. I, I commend it to you. Consider memorizing it. And every day go through that verse and preach this gospel to yourself. It, it's life-changing. Paul says in verse 9, there are two kinds of righteousness. My own righteousness from the law and the righteousness from God through faith in Christ. And I assure you, this is not easy for us to do. It's not easy for us to keep our focus on the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. We're going to have a constant temptation to go after this righteousness that comes from law-keeping. Whatever laws we create. Paul renounces 
his own righteousness, views it as garbage. It's his own. It's a result of his obedience to the law. He said in verse 6, as to this kind of righteousness under the law, I was blameless. He's a fanatic. But he renounces this. It was to his gain. He renounces it. He's preaching against it. He's undermining his own confidence. This is what he's good at. Throwing it all away. Because he's met Christ. He achieved righteousness by keeping the law. He earned it. It was based on his merits. He was moralistic. Self-righteous. But now he's met Christ. And he's changed what he treasures. What was gain is now garbage. He came to the same conclusion that Isaiah came to in Isaiah 64, 6. We've all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf in our iniquities. Like the wind, take us away. Paul had more reasons to have confidence in the flesh than all, all these opponents that he was now facing in Philippi. He was more zealous. He persecuted the church, but he rejected all his achievements. Everything that brought him applause, he threw it all away. The reason, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I may share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. He's Christ-centered. He wants to gain Christ. He wants to be found in Christ. He wants to know Christ. Because he treasures Christ. Finally, really the, the ultimate change to consider is kind of the consequence of all this. And that's change our life. Change our life. That I may know him, again, verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Knowing Christ includes knowing the power of his resurrection. It includes sharing in his sufferings. These are part of our experience of Knowing Christ. Do you know the power? Do you know the power? Knowing this power is what strengthens us. It's what motivates us. It's our courage. It's our steadfastness. We need this power. There, there's an emphasis Throughout Philippians, on, on the future victory of Jesus Christ, we've seen it again and again. We see it here again in verse 11. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, even death itself, could not hold him. He was raised from the dead by the power of God. God raised him from the dead. Verse 9 of chapter 2, in the, in the great... Christ him, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. He went from obedience to death humbly, even death on a cross, 
Paul's whole point was have that same attitude, humble yourself. And God raised him up and exalted him by his power. Don't don't try to live the Christian life without the power. We learn in the New Testament the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Creation testifies, the Bible says, to God's eternal power. The message of the cross is the power of God. The power of God is demonstrated in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't try to live the Christian life without this power. Paul expects power. This is a text about the empowering presence of the Spirit. So if you, if you feel desperate, you know, we heard prophetic words. We just, just feel like those are encouragements, comfort, consoling. The Spirit gifts certain individuals and then they share prophetic words and I just sense the Lord is trying to communicate to us encouragement this morning. And it may be that God's power is leading you because you're going to suffer for the gospel like Paul. Verse 10, that he, I, I may share his sufferings. I want to share his sufferings. It's, it's the Greek word koinonia. We've seen it before in In Philippians, it's a partnership. We're we're partners with Christ. We're united to Him by faith. We share in His sufferings and we share in His power. Resurrection power. We need it. And this, this one who was a persecutor caused other people to suffer. Now he wants to share with Christ in suffering. One commentator says, Walter Hansen, in Paul's experience... Knowing Christ by believing in Him led to knowing Christ by suffering for the sake of Christ. Paul's not a masochist who had suffering as his goal. Suffering was not a goal in itself, but it was the inevitable consequences of believing in Christ. For the sake of Christ, Paul lost all things. He suffered. But he says... His purpose is to know him and to know the power of his resurrection so that he can share his sufferings and become like him in his death. One theme of of Philippians is the day of Christ. Paul is thinking about the power as he lives his life. To live is Christ. But he also recognizes, verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That one day Christ will return and then we will be changed. Then we will be like him in every way. Completely like him because we will see him face to face. And he wants to, he looks forward to that that day. He doesn't doubt that. He's expressing this humbly. But he looks forward to that day when he will experience fully 
the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Let's make knowing Him our supreme ambition. Listen, our our text is an invitation to know Christ. What a cruel joke it would be. What a humor column it would be if this text was not inviting us to know Christ better. Oh, I fully believe the Lord is present today to say, I'm inviting you to know me better. Some of you are not Christians. You're being invited to come to Christ because of the gospel. Not having a righteousness of your own, but trusting Christ for a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Believe. Receive. You've been hearing the gospel all morning, and it's no accident you're here. Come to Christ. Some of you are Christians. The Lord wants to reveal Himself to you in a powerful way. You're hungry. Even as you've looked at this text today, you've thought, I want to know Him better. Oh, I want it to be my supreme ambition. I want Christ. I want to gain Him. I want to be found in Him. This is no cruel joke. This is God saying, He's inviting you to gain him this morning. Please stand. We're going to return to singing. Just an attitude of prayer as we seek to know Christ better. Lord, thank you for this text. Lord, we confess Jesus is Lord. We say he's supreme. He's above all things. We thank you, Lord, for this truth. We thank you for the songs we've been singing all morning. We thank you for all the fellowship we've already had and we will have as we share Christ together. Lord, as we conclude today, I pray, pour out your spirit on this congregation. Help each and every one of us to know you better. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.